All right, check this out. In New York City, a mailman shot by a sniper is ordered from a building lobby because he is dripping blood. In Oklahoma City, a woman gives birth unexpectedly on a city sidewalk. Bystanders turn their faces. A taxi driver looks, then speeds away. A nearby hotel refuses a blanket. In Dayton, Ohio, a dozen people see a woman drive her car into the Miami River. They watch indifferently as the woman climbs on the car's roof and screams that she can't swim. The woman drowns. So many incidents like this have happened that the Chicago Sun-Times library now has a special file tabbed apathy. The, the book of Jonah is a picture of apathy. The apathetic approach that Jonah, who represents Israel, which is God's chosen people, who is now representing us, which is the church, is a perfect picture of apathy towards the things that God cares about, which is human lives. Here's a quote from J.K. Rowling. Does anybody know that name? J.K. Rowling, the Harry Potter books, right? This is really powerful. She says, those who choose not to empathize enable real monsters. For without ever committing an act of outright evil ourselves, we collude with it, with evil, through our apathy. Wow. What a pointed, pointed quote. If you're already in Jonah, that's great. If not, turn to the book of Jonah. I want to just quickly recap the first three chapters that we've already gone through. Okay? So let's remind ourselves where we're at in this story. In chapter 1, the word of the Lord comes to a guy named Jonah from God, right? God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh, which is about 500 miles away, because their sin cries out against them. I want you to go to preach to Nineveh so that they'll stop sinning, so that I won't bring calamity amongst these people that I care about. And Jonah says, yeah, I ain't going from Jerusalem down to Nineveh, 500 miles to the east. I'm going to go 2,500 miles to the west. So Jonah disobeys God. He jumps on a ship heading to Tarshish. The Lord churns up the seas. And, they, and, the, and the, the sailors say, what do we do? And Jonah says, throw me overboard. So they throw him overboard. And Jonah sinks to the bottom of the water. He's about to die. And a great fish swallows Jonah up. That's how chapter 1 ends. So God delivers Jonah at the end of chapter 1 by swallowing him up in a great fish. And then chapter 2, he's in the belly of this fish, and he cries out to God. And he thanks the Lord for saving him. He thanks the Lord for his mercy and for delivering him. And then the great fish spits him up onto dry land at the end of chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, the word of the Lord comes again. So Jonah gets a second chance. And the word of the Lord says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. And then Jonah goes to Nineveh. And he preaches these five Hebrew words. And the whole city uh, repents and turns from their sin. Look at verse 10, how chapter 3 ends. So Jonah finally goes to Nineveh. Look at verse 10 of chapter 3. When God saw their deeds, the Ninevites, that they turned from their wicked way, Then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring, and he did not do it. Shouldn't Jonah end there? Shouldn't the book end right there? But it doesn't end there. Let's read Jonah chapter 4. Right? We just saw what happened in verse 10. Look at the opening of chapter 4. But it, the thing that just happened in Nineveh, 
it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Is that startling? Isn't that just startling? Verse 2, he prayed to the Lord. So he's displeased and he's ticked off. And he goes to the Lord in prayer. And he prayed to the Lord and he said this. He said, please, Lord, was not this what I essentially warned you about? What I said while I was still in Jerusalem? Therefore, in order to help you, God, in order to forestall this, right? I was, I'm trying to help you out, God. I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, that you're slow to anger and abundant loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. Do you know what Jonah is saying? God, you blew it. I was trying to help you and you blew it. Verse 3, therefore now, O Lord, (laughs) drama queen stuff right here. Therefore now, O Lord, take my life from me for death is better to me than life. Oh, Jonah. And the Lord says to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry? And then Jonah went out from the city of Nineveh, and he he sat east of it. And he made a shelter for himself, and he sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. Now, his shelter is basically just sticks. It's about 110 degrees out there. There's really no plant life there. And so it's just sticks, so it's partial shade. Verse 6. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be really more complete shade over his head, to deliver him yet again from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But, verse 7, God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. And then when the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint. And he begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. And then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. And then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not even work for. You did not even cause it to grow. And it came up overnight and it perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city? in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right hand and their left, as well as many animals. Now, that 120,000 right hand, left hand, they're talking about children, right? So they're young kids. And so it puts the city population at probably over 600,000 people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can be finishing the book of Jonah at such a perfect time. Lord, it indicates that you care about people. Hundreds of thousands of people are in this town called Nineveh. Lord, you care about every single one of them. You care about each and every one of us in this room, all those outside of this room, because, Lord, you made us, humanity, in your image. And that's why you sent your son, Jesus, because you care for us. It's why you sent Jonah, because you care for us. Father, may our lives respond to the care that you have for us. May we love you in return with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. It's in your name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Merry Christmas, everybody. So good to be with you. Thanks for being here to wrap up the book of Jonah. So here's a reminder. I mentioned these things when we opened up the book of Jonah. Here's a couple things that the book of Jonah shows us, okay? First thing, how deeply concerned God is for those that do not follow him. If you're not following God, he is deeply concerned for you to follow him. It's in your best interest. You are purely free and purely at joy when you are living as you're supposed to live, which is in relationship with the God that created you. 
God is deeply concerned for those not following him. Two, how unconcerned, the book shows us, the book of Jonah, how unconcerned Israel was, and it's personified in this one person, Jonah. So before we beat up too much on Jonah, Jonah represents the entire nation of Israel that's supposed to be doing these things that Jonah's not doing, which is proclaiming God's goodness to the nations around them. Three, it shows us that Christians are often as reluctant as Jonah to be obedient in their missionary calling. Church, (laughs) we're all missionaries. We're all missionaries. We as the church, Jonah who represents Israel, Israel who represents the church, we are all to be in the mission field, letting people know about the good news of Jesus Christ. And four, churches are often as unconcerned about God's desire to reach the lost as Israel was. We're in verse one of chapter four. Let's read verse one as we go through these verses. (laughs) Verse one. But it greatly displeased Jonah and he became angry. Look at this. It'll be on your screens. Check this out. What pleased God displeased Jonah. Think about that. What pleased God displeased Jonah. So I wonder, I wonder what's on your list and what's on my list, right? So here's our list. Let's create a list of Things that please God but displease me. I wonder what's on that list. I bet you we all have a list if we're being honest. Things that displease me are things that please God but also displease me. Hmm. What God, what pleased God displeased Jonah. When it says here, but it greatly displeased Jonah, it's talking about verse 10 of chapter 3, which we already read. Let's read that again. This is what displeased Jonah. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it, but it displeased Jonah. That's pretty twisted. That is a man whose heart and mind is far from the God that he serves. This scenario provides us with a startling picture of our depravity and our God's devotion to people. It's a startling picture of our depravity and yet the Lord's devotion to you and to me and to everybody. He loves his creation. He loves people. So far in the story, here's what's happening. God rescues Jonah the rebel. Jonah rebelled back in chapter 1 and God sends a fish and rescues Jonah the rebel. Right? And then God turns around and uses Jonah, the rebel, to rescue Nineveh, the rebellious city, through the efforts of Jonah, the rebel. And then Jonah decides to be displeased and angry that rebellious people turn to God, even though he himself was also a rebellious person. (laughs) Here's what's cool about all that. In the midst of all that, yet the Lord chose still to use Jonah. Think about that. Jonah's rebellious. He sends him to a rebellious city. He's rebellious afterwards, and God still does amazing work. That means there's hope for each and every one of us. Even in our rebellion, God can use us. God can accomplish his purposes. Who might the Lord have you minister to? Who might God be calling you to minister to? that runs the risk of giving you displeasure and maybe even anger. Sometimes the Lord challenges us 
to come alongside somebody, to minister to somebody, and it brings us displeasure. And we say, Lord, I don't want to do that. That displeases me. That makes me angry. And he says, yeah, nonetheless, go to Nineveh. Hmm. Are we ever displeased and angry with how the Lord works? Are we ever displeased and angry with how the Lord works? Oftentimes we are. God help us. Go to Romans chapter 9. Paul writes on this a little bit in these verses. Romans chapter 9. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the book of Acts, and then the book of Romans. Is it hot in here? Yeah? Yeah, I'm, I'm roasted up here. Thank you, Michael. Romans chapter 9. We do. Sometimes we're just displeased and angry with how God works. Check this out. Romans 9, starting at verse 14. Verse 14. Paul writes to the church at Rome. He says, what shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? No, may it never be. God's not unjust. God's very just. Verse 15. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. That's up to me. So then, it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. Verse 18, so then, he, the Lord, has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. The Lord does what he does, and he asks us to come alongside it, not to be displeased and not to be angry, but to say, Lord, I trust you. You have mercy on whom you have mercy, and you harden whom you desire to harden. It's up to you, Lord. Church, we're in verse 2. Go back to Jonah chapter 4. We're in verse 2. So Jonah is displeased and angry. In verse 2, he starts to pray. Is it okay to pray when you're angry? Not a trick question. Yes. When's it a good time to pray? All the time. So it's okay that Jonah prays. But it's really, if we're being honest, it's not a great prayer. When you, when you pray and say to God, you're blowing it, not the best prayer. This is not his finest hour yet again. Right? Look at this. He prayed to the Lord and he said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Lord, you blew it. I told you this was going to happen. I told you that they would repent. And I didn't want you to do that. (laughs) This prayer, this verse, is such a horribly awesome and transparent in a weird, twisted way, response to why Jonah is displeased and angry. There's something about it that's very endearing and something about it that's just like, what the heck, I can't believe he said that. Jonah, what I like about this, is Jonah has a clear reality of himself. He's just laying it all out there. As bad as it is, he's in touch with who he is. But he's also in touch, he's really clear about who the Lord is when he prays this way. Right? He says... I knew you to be, in the middle of verse 2, I knew that you're gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abundant loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. And I don't like it. And I think you blew it, God. That's what he's saying. See, let me just go here for a second. (laughs) This happens in the church, right? So you say something to somebody, 
Whatever you say, you challenge them, you can speak truth into somebody's life, and they say, well, let me pray about it. Oh, that sounds really spiritual. And we should pray about it. Jonah prayed. This is not a great prayer, church. He's telling God he blew it. So he's praying. And I suppose when he got done praying, he's like, yep, God blew it. I prayed about it, and God blew it. Now, that sounds silly, right? Hey, look, if you're going to tell me you're going to pray about it, fantastic. But you better pray in submission to the Lord's will in your life. And we find the Lord's will in Scripture. Not our feelings, not our emotions, but according to his word. So when we say, let me pray about it, that is fantastic. But we oftentimes don't pray with the heart of submission. We pray with ulterior motives. We pray out of our sin. We pray out of our selfishness. We pray out of a lot of things. The Bible says the heart is wicked. Who can know it? But God knows, right? When we pray, do we pray in submission? Because imagine, if we didn't, because we often don't, imagine this. Go ahead and put the slide up. Imagine if the Lord shaped his course according to all of our prayers. Yes, that's a great face, Jane. Right? Like, don't do that, God. I want to pray and I want to say whatever I want, but don't shape the course of history according to my prayers. Like, that would be crazy. If he did that, imagine if God did that. Like, no, God, I take it back. Let me think first before I speak. Hmm. Essentially, in verse 2, Jonah is saying this about himself. He is saying that he is not. Jonah is saying in his prayer, God, I am not gracious. I am not compassionate. I am not slow to anger. I am not abundant in loving kindness. And I am not one who relents concerning calamity. That's what he's saying. You are, I'm not. That's Jonah's prayer in verse 2. And yet, God uses Jonah. Isn't that just fantastic? That's how kind and caring and tender and patient and long-suffering God is with us. When we say, God, I'm not gracious, I'm not compassionate, I'm not slow to anger, I'm not abounding in loving kindness, and I don't relent you know, concerning calamity. He says, okay, you done complaining? Well, we got some work to do. Ha! I love that about God. So, Throughout these four chapters of Jonah, there's all these encounters that, that Jonah's having with God and God's having with Jonah, right? There's these encounters, multiple encounters. Is our life marked with encounters of the Almighty God? Do you allow yourself to have encounter after encounter after Do you go there? Do you have encounters with God? Is our life marked with encounters of the Almighty, whereby we get to see on display three things. If we allow ourselves to have encounters with God, three things will be on display when the encounter is over or during the encounter. First one, his character and his his attributes will be on display. When you have an encounter with God, and you allow yourself to have an encounter, you're going to see on display his character and his attributes. Jonah says, I knew you to be gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and relentless concerning, or relenting concerning calamity. He understood God's character and his attributes. That's the first thing. The other thing on display when we have an encounter with God is our character and attributes. That's the second thing. And Jonah's saying, I'm not those things. So he sees who God is. And he sees who he is. And the third thing that's on display when we have an encounter with God is the gap between us. That's what's on display. When we allow ourselves to have encounters with God, we learn who he is and we say, oh man, you're amazing. And then we look how we are and we say, oh man, not so amazing. And then you realize how much work we have to do. 
I understand the Lord's grace. The more I know who he is and the more I know who I am, I get a bigger picture of God's grace and the gap that exists between us. And he says, nonetheless, Mark, I'm going to use you. I'm broken. I'm flawed. Just like you. And God says, it's okay. I'm going to use you. Nonetheless. It's hard sometimes to go to Nineveh when you realize you're flawed. Mm. It's interesting Jonah says in verse 2, he says, I knew you, Lord. I knew you to be that way. And yet he rebelled anyway. He knew who God was, and yet he rebelled anyway. Imagine the rebellion when we don't know who he is. That's why it's so important for us to stick our nose in Scripture and be in Bible study and be in community groups so that we get to know who God is so that our rebellion doesn't run as deep. We're in verse 3. Therefore, right, so this is, this is uh, what, did I, what did I call verse 3? Uh, yeah, this is like the Eeyore passage, right? Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Like, come on, dude. Isn't that great? Right? Like, man up, Jonah. <laughs> is... This verse, is this not the opposite of what Jesus Christ did for us? When he says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. Death is better to me than life. It's the opposite of Jesus. Let me explain. Jonah would rather die than to see the Ninevites have life. Jonah would rather die than to see the Ninevites have life. Jesus would rather die than to see the Ninevites have death. See the difference? Here's another way to put it. What brings life to Jesus is to see people live. What brings life to him, what he came for is to see people live. What brings life to Jonah was to see people die. And so I ask you, because Jonah represents Israel, which represents the church, I wonder how much we are like Jonah and how much we are like Jesus. Good question for us. Verse 4. The Lord said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry. I love when the Lord asks questions, as if he doesn't know the answer already, right? This is a great question, or is it really even a question? It's really more of a statement that the Lord in his tenderness and his grace is posing as a question. He's saying, Jonah, you have no reason to be angry. Jonah, of all people, has zero good reason to be angry. God delivered him from the bottom of the ocean back in Jonah chapter 1. Just like he delivered us. We do not have any reason, if we put our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, we have zero reason to be angry with God. The opposite is true. When we truly understand the Lord's grace, his deliverance of our sin, through the person of Jesus Christ, from the gnarly sin that dwells within each and every one of us, we of all people should not be angry, but we should be people of rejoicing. Additionally, even outside of that, we are to live in willing submission to him whom we call Lord. Not only do we have no reason to be angry because he delivered us, but if we call him Lord and he calls us to do, go, say, speak, we should willingly do that in submission to him we call Lord. By the way, I don't know if you noticed the transition between verses 4 and 5, verse 4 and 5, that Jonah never answered the Lord. God asked him a question. And Jonah didn't answer. I wonder how often you and I don't answer the Lord when he asks us a question. I wonder. 
How are we? How do we respond when it, when it appears that the Lord hasn't answered us yet? I, this is the way I've, I heard it years ago. Right? The Lord answers every prayer. Yes, no, wait. Right? And so oftentimes we'll say, Lord, I've been asking, I've been asking, I've been asking. He says, well, I've kind of asked you a few things recently too and I haven't heard back from you. So why don't you go first? We're in verse 5. Then Jonah went out from the city, and he sat east of it. And he makes himself a shelter, and he sits under it in this partial shade until he could see what would happen in the city. Wow. What the heck is going on in verse 5? Great things are happening in Nineveh. Jonah bolts east of the city. Something amazing is beginning to take place in a city of 600,000 plus. But instead of celebrating the Lord's mighty work in his mighty hand and coming alongside these repentant people, we find him looking and no doubt desiring for them to fail. He sets up shelter and he watches. Just a matter of time, Lord, before they fail. (laughs) So I ask, are we more prone to one extreme or the other? Do we tend to find ourselves supporting and coming alongside that, those people that are growing in their faith? Is that us? Are we willing to be those people, to come alongside people and nurture their growth? That's one extreme. Or do we tend to find ourselves critical of those growing in their faith and we sit on the sidelines and go, meh, 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 meh. Like Jonah, do we sit east of the city? Do we sit in the shade and look for the failure in others? Lord, I hope we don't do that. Verse 6. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head, to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. The first time in the book of Jonah, he's finally happy. This is the first time Jonah's happy, because he got a plant. Don't buy me a plant, that will not make me happy. Yet again, in his rebellion, the Lord appoints deliverance for Jonah. He was rebellious in chapter 1. The Lord appointed deliverance in the great fish. And he wants to be delivered from the heat. And the Lord appoints deliverance for Jonah. And Jonah is extremely happy about the plant. Time and again, church, time and again, our Lord delivers us and delivers us and delivers us. That's what the picture is is being uh, depicted here. That God's delivering Jonah yet again. While we, depicted here by Jonah, simultaneously judge the sin of others from a distance. God's delivering Jonah yet again while Jonah's in the middle of judging people from a distance. It's just how depraved that we can be in our sin, in our flesh. So here's the sad picture we have here. Here's the sad picture. Jonah is extremely happy about his deliverance from sun. Jonah's happy because of his deliverance from sun, and he's unhappy because of the Ninevites' deliverance from sin. That's what's taking place. Happy about the sun, not happy that they got delivered from their sin. Mm. Church, remember, the book of Jonah is meant for, for Israel, for the church. It's meant to awaken us and to remind us not only of what he has done for us, but what he desires to do for others. To remind us of our call and perhaps reveal to us our lack of concern for those that the Lord loves. Mm. Verses 7 and 8. we get that air going? I don't know know what's going on. We're having problems with our thermostats the last few weeks, so forgive us. Thank you, Michael. 
verses 7 and 8. But God appointed a worm, right? So he appoints the shade, and now, a verse later, two verses, 7 and 8, God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on, the, on Jonah's head so that he became faint, and he begged with all of his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. Okay, so, one of the things that the book of Jonah clearly shows is God's sovereignty. Four times God appointed in the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, God appointed a great fish. In Jonah chapter 4, verse 6, which we just read, God appointed the plant. In verse 7, he appoints the worm. And in verse 8, he appoints a scorching wind. Four times God appoints, okay? The Lord is hoping through this object lesson, lesson to teach some powerful, some powerful truths. Let me put this commentary up on the, on the slide, on the screen, right? God erected an object of Jonah's affection, this creaturely comfort, this plant. And he contrasted it with the object of his affection, his concern, which is the souls of people. And so God rebuked Jonah, not through a storm in this instance, but by exposing the selfishness of his likes and dislikes. Wow. That's the object lesson. It's like, dude, really? You care about a plant? I'm caring about, I'm caring about people's souls. So here's what I want you to consider. Consider this, okay? Go ahead and put the next slide up. Let me... <laughs> The Lord appoints deliverance in our hardship, and he appoints hardship for our deliverance. The first two appointments that God had, the first appointment in chapter 1, verse 17, God appointed a great fish to deliver Jonah from death, right? So he appointed deliverance. Then he appointed shade to deliver Jonah from suffering, right? Then the next two appointments was because he needed to teach Jonah something. He needed to deliver him from some bad thinking, right? So that's the way the Lord works. The Lord appoints deliverance in our hardship, but then he'll appoint hardship so that we can be delivered from things that we need to be delivered from. Mm. In verse 3, and now again in verse 8, Jonah declares, death is better to me than life. He, He declares it now for the second time. Are you and I back those kind of people? Are you and I people that say death is better than, to me than life kind of people? And here's the two circumstances why Jonah says that, right? Death is better to me than life under these two circumstances. When God's favor reaches others, Jonah said death is better to me than life. Or when hardship hits you. That's when Jonah declares death is better to me than life. When God showed favor to the Ninevites or brought hardship upon him, death is better than life. I hope we're not those kind of people. God will show favor. And we want to celebrate how God shows favor. And we want to trust the Lord when he brings hardship to say, Lord, you're delivering me from something. And I want to trust you in this hardship. We're in verses 9, 10, and 11. Let's read those three verses, church. 9, 10, and 11. I love the way this book, it kind of just drops off a cliff. Like, verse 11 happens and it's just done. It's fantastic. God says to Jonah in verse 9, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he says, I do. I have good reason to be angry, even to death. (laughs) Jonah just really wants to die, right? Can you tell? Jonah's got a death wish. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did nothing. You did not work. You did not cause it to grow. And it came up overnight and it perished overnight. 
Should I, Jonah, not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are 600,000 people, as well as many animals? What I love about these three verses is it shows the tenderness and the kindness and the patience of God in just how he just continues to converse with Jonah. Even in his rebellion, he's tender and he's patient. Jonah and God, really Jonah, they're having a spat. Jonah's having a spat with God. Church, it's okay to have a tiff with God. He can handle it. He knows how to guide you through it. It's going to be fine. Verse 1 told us in chapter 4, it opened up that Jonah was greatly displeased and angry. And then we see in verse 2 that Jonah prayed to the Lord. Not a great prayer. Jonah, in verses 9, 10, and 11, Jonah's still angry. He's still angry. Not much has shifted for him. But here's what's cool. He's still chatting with God. He's still chatting. And sometimes, church, it might take days or weeks or months or years, and we're angry and we're saying to God, what the heck, man? And we're having a tiff with God, and it lasts a long time. But you're still chatting with God. Nothing could be more important than that. Once again, these verses reveal the propensity of God's people. These verses reveal the propensity of God's people to extend care and compassion for temporary things that, in this case, he didn't even create. God's like, you didn't create it. You didn't even cause it to grow. Like, that's me. Right? So the propensity of God's people is we extend care and compassion for temporary things while not extending care and compassion for eternal things. The contrast of the plant and the people. Do we have that slide? Next slide. Yes? No? The contrast of the plant and the people really shows how far our hearts and minds can drift from the things that are important to God. People or plants? Jonah was over here with the plant, and he was really, really happy. The people side, not so happy. (laughs) That's the object lesson here, and it's brutal. It's really, really brutal. Another commentary says this. It's not on the screens. It says, Jonah had a deep concern, and God had a deep concern. Jonah's deep concern had been expressed on behalf of a relatively insignificant portion of God's creation, the vine, the plant, while God's deep concern was expressed on behalf of his highest creation, that of human beings, human life. So, it's true. As part of God's family, we can be in the church and yet completely be in contrast with the Lord and his purposes. We can be in the church, just like Jonah was part of his chosen people, and be in complete opposition, if you will, to the Lord and his purposes. It can happen really, really fast. As we wrap this up, Jonah probably knew. Jonah probably knew from two prophets in the Old Testament, two of the minor prophets, Amos And Hosea. Amos and Hosea had prophesied because at this time, the nation of Israel was in rebellion towards God. And God said, if you continue to rebel, I'm going to have to punish you for your sin. And so the Lord was going to bring punishment from Assyria, whose capital happens to be Nineveh. So Jonah knew that the people that God sent him to are going to be the very people that are going to wipe out, if you will, God's people. They would be Israel's destroyer. They would bring God's judgment, Assyria would, for their own sin. So Jonah's saying, I don't want to go to the people that are about to wipe us out because of our own sin. So here's the question. Is it not okay 
for the Lord to be for those who are against us? That's a heavy question. Is it not okay for the Lord to be for those who are against us? Sometimes people are against us. We recognize that, right? But I will tell you this. The Lord is for every single one of them. It's okay for the Lord to be for those who are against us. And that's hard. But that's the character of our God. In our shortcomings, which is another nice word for sin, (laughs) do we spend our time and energy hating the correction or the infraction? Jonah was spending his time hating the correction instead of saying, gosh, we're deserving of this punishment by Assyria. He's hating the correction more than he hated his infraction, his sin. So sometimes people speak into us, or they try to speak into us, and then we fight back the truth that they're trying to speak into us and say, hey, I've noticed this in your life. It looks ugly. We call that sin. And you start fighting that person, right? You start hating the correction more than you hate the infraction. And when we do, we delay the handiwork of our God in our lives. Go there with God. Thank you for pointing that out to me. Work on your delivery next time, but I need to work on my infraction, right? Like, that's okay. Could have been a little kinder. That could have been a little softer. But the fact of the matter is, it sounds like I have some sin I need to deal with. So I want to hate that infraction more than I hate your deliverance of of, of how you corrected me. Because I don't want to delay God's work in my life. So, wrapping this up. We see from the book of Jonah just how faithful and compassionate God is. We see from this book how faithful and how compassionate God is. Both to those who do not know him, Ninevites, and to those who do in the person of Jonah. He's faithful to both. In chapter 1, we see Jonah's disobedience. In chapter 2, we see his thankfulness. In chapter 3, we see his obedience. In chapter 4, we see his displeasure and his anger. But in all four chapters, we see the unwavering hand of our Lord in all four chapters. And we see the unwavering hand of our Lord in the, in the deliverance of a Savior to us in the form of a child in Jesus Christ. It's his unwavering hand because he cares for people. Amen?